Mabuhay. You are listening to the Decolonizing Medicine podcast. We will be exploring the intersection of decolonization and healing work with Black and Brown practitioners involved in a variety of modalities. I'm your host, Jamie Panetta, coming to you from Piscataway Territory, otherwise known as Baltimore, Maryland. My ancestry is mostly Tagalog and some Chinoy, but I was raised here on Turtle Island. I am also a queer, non-binary trans person and a practitioner of Hilot and Chinese medicine. We've got a couple quick announcements for October. I will be starting a QT BIPOC five-phase Qigong series again on October 30th through December 18th. And that is one hour a week, every Saturday between those two dates from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm also going to be taking a break from one-on-one sessions in October, but uh, per request, my books are open for November. So just check out the link in the show notes if you're interested in scheduling with me. And don't forget, there are caption episodes available on YouTube. So for more info on my offerings or to sign up for my email list, you can visit linktree slash Jamie Panetta Healing Arts. My guest for today is Tiana Dotson. Tiana is a fat body liberation coach and facilitator who's out to destroy the belief that you have to be skinny to be happy and healthy, lovable, or worthy. Through her work with the Fat Freedom Programs, she guides people feminine of center to reconnect with their bodies, destigmatize fatness, and learn about the harms of health being a measure of worth, all while finding how they can live their best fat lives. Oh my god, hi Jamie. <laughs> How are you doing today? I am, I'm just like so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> I love talking to you. Yeah. I think last time we talked, I was in my kitchen. You were like watching me like make a sandwich or, or something. You were making dumplings and I was insanely jealous. Oh, that's right. I was making dumplings. Oh, so Tiana right now is is not located near Baltimore where I am. No. They're actually she's actually in France. So it was a Zoom call. Exactly. We were just chatting. Because in my kitchen, pretending like we were hanging out in person. Because honestly, if I was anywhere near Baltimore, I would have been in a vehicle on my way to eat dumplings. <laughs> dumplings are the best. I would just like knock at your door like, hey, hey, you didn't invite me, but I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I miss that. I miss hanging out with like other BIPOC where we're just chilling with food. Mm. It's yes. the best. It is. It's really the best. Ugh. It is. Well, I have a lot of really exciting questions to ask you today. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yay. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. So ready. <laughs> You're so ready. Um, Okay, so my first question is, what exactly is a body liberation coach and facilitator? Like, what is your job? (laughs) (laughs) How's 
sorry for laughing, but it's funny because like in my head, I was like, ooh, ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, and like, and like, not a, like, not like good question. Like, like people say, good question. Let me answer it because you just teed me off to like sound really intelligent. No, like good question. Like what, what, what do I actually do? Um, so first and foremost, the made up thing. I made it up. <laughs> I made it up completely. Um, <laughs> there's no certification out there for body liberation coaching. I'm sorry. Um, so at the base, I'm a health coach, actually. I, uh, I've come a long way from my background as a mechanical engineer, but um, this is definitely much more me, which is really great. I'm happy to have found that. But yeah, so I started my life as a health coach, or I started my coaching life as a health coach and um, wasn't satisfied with what I was finding there because it was really a world that was preaching like things that I had heard pretty much my whole life that somehow stopped ringing true. And so I went on this whole like experience this like quest to find what actually was true for me. And through that, what I found was the health at every size and fat acceptance movements. And as a fat person who has a really long history of dieting and body shame and body hatred, this was an amazing like, place to arrive and experience like like I for the first time was like oh my goodness this answers a lot of questions for me and really makes me feel like there's so many things that are so possible that I was told before this were completely impossible for me because of the kind of body that I had and so I've continued to go on this journey and realize that like for example, intersectionality exists. Um, and so that was something that was eye-opening to me to find out that like, you know, fat acceptance has like roots in feminism. And there's also like just all kinds of things where like justice and liberation and like finding freedom for all kinds of people and all kinds of bodies come together. And so I started calling myself a fat health coach, but the word health started to get complicated for me because I started to realize that health itself is very much more complex than what we are normally talking about when we do talk about health. And so I got rid of all of that together because I realized that body liberation is a thing and what we should be doing or what what I should be doing at least with my work is finding ways to liberate ourselves from oppressive conditioning that get us to this place where we are shamed of feeling ashamed of who we are because of how we show up in the world because of what our bodies look like because what of our bodies can do or do not do um and so that's what I do as a body liberation coach and facilitator is I'm helping people um, based on my own lived experience to find 
their way toward a place where they can feel like they're in partnership with their own bodies um, and hopefully find ways to live their best fat lives. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I'm wondering if you can go into more detail about how your identities as a fat, queer, biracial, Black and Chamorro parent um, inform your work? Ooh, 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 that's a deep question. And yes, <laughs> yes, they do. So like, um, yeah, I guess we'll start with being biracial. Being biracial has been really hard for me um, because I'm Black and Chamorro. So for those who don't know, Chamorro is the indigenous, the, the, the indigenous people of Guam. Um, so my mom is from Guam and Guam is a colonized place courtesy of the United States this time because we've been formally colonized by the Spanish and the Japanese. And uh, yeah, so like the challenge for me has like, because I'm not visibly Black I'm also not visibly Chamorro. So like if I show up in a space, like nobody's like, hey, I know exactly what you are because of how you look. And so because of that, I've always had trouble like fitting in because I've had lots of people look at me on, you know, from whichever side of my, my identity, if they're Black people or if they're Chamorro people and be told that I'm not Black enough or I'm not Chamorro enough. And so, like, I've always been in this very uncomfortable, like, place where I call, like, I'm sitting on the fence. Um, and it's a terrible place to be because in some ways, well, it's not actually a terrible place, but it can feel like a terrible place to be because you just really don't feel like you belong, you know? And so, like, that really informed a lot of my experiences growing up, where it's just, like, I was never Black enough to hang out with Black kids and be completely comfortable. I was never Chamorro enough to hang out with the Chamorro kids and be comfortable. So I was always kind of, like, this weird person who sort of was there but never really fit. And on top of that, a generous helping of the fact that my body didn't fit physically because I was fat. And then underneath all of it, just like undergirding all of that discomfort was the fact that I was queer and didn't realize it. So <laughs> um, all of these things, like just being chronically uncomfortable with group dynamics have helped me be really compassionate for people who exist in difference. And that has given me the ability to like, mm, I suppose in some ways, like imagine myself in someone else's shoes because I sort of feel like I'm never really wearing the same shoe on each foot. Um, and I think that's been very powerful for me because just being able to have that compassion, right? I know so deeply and intimately what it's like to be not part of a thing that I can like project that and use that to understand why someone would be acting out of their trauma response to not belonging. And so having a child has really 
ooh, has really challenged a lot of that because um, you think you know some things about yourself uh, and you think that you really have your shit together and then a small version of yourself comes into the world and it challenges all of it. It, oh, small people, oh my God, small people take you through all your shit, all your shit. Like you have to revisit all of your old traumas, all of like the things that happened in your childhood. You're like thinking about that time when you were six and the dog chased you and you were really scared and like how excited you were not excited, but like how relieved you felt when your mom came out with the broom and chased the dog away. Like, you know, and then have to like hold that in one hand while also in the other hand, recognizing that this person who so fiercely defended you at this young age also is the person who like gave you these complexes about who you are because they didn't have capacity to hold your full complexity because of who they were and what they were experiencing in their whole life, you know, at the time. And so like having, being a parent and having a kid is like an amazing responsibility because you are now in charge somehow of a human being and nobody's prepared for that. I don't care how many classes or books or whatever, like you're not prepared for that. Nobody is. Um, and so you just have to do the best that you can to not reproduce the shit that you know harmed you and try to like do something different, hopefully not harming <laughs> this person you've created. And it's just this constant like push and pull between the past and the possible future. Um, and these things like are really what fuel my work because like this ability to be compassionate, this like desire to break the, the, the chains of generation intergenerational trauma and to pass something forward into the future that is going to make real positive change. Like that tension is where my work lives. Yeah. Oh, that I appreciate really you. <laughs> that well, it was really good. It didn't just sound really good. Um, just I'm sitting with the complexity of having to hold multiple realities at once to hold compassion yeah. and protection right next to violence that oh, yeah. is like inflicted within families, but also related to colonization and internalizing mm. outside violence as well. Yes. Uh, that's the work, right? Like to heal ourselves yeah. in such a way that we don't perpetuate it, but then also realizing that the trauma doesn't, doesn't evaporate. Like you don't just that's heal right. it and be done. No. Yeah. No. So anyways, that brings us very nicely into the next question. How do you see colonization influencing our relationship to our bodies, to fatness, and to health? Mm. 
Oh, that's a big question. I'm just going to only ask you gigantic questions. <laughs> <laughs> only gigantic questions. I suppose I signed up for it. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, colonization. Ugh, colonization is deep. So to be perfectly honest, colonization is something that was not really on my radar until relatively recently. And like, it's one of these things that when you're finally, when you finally like read a definition or like someone drops that piece of knowledge on you, it connects the dots so nicely that like all of these little pieces, little places of discomfort, these little questions that you've been living in, these little cognitive dissonances that you've noticed as you've grown up and like experienced things. You're like, what is this? Something is not right here, but I don't know what it is. And then somebody gives you a term and it just slots right in. And like now the electricity is on and all the lights turn on um, is what colonization, like coming to, to realize what colonization is. It did that for me. Um, and I'm so excited and also depressed by it. <laughs> so this gigantic question, it's a gigantic question. And like, if we think back to the olden days, whatever that looks like in your mind, um, there are stories that we have been told that corpulence, large bodies were praised. Um, we see this in like, like the most, um, the, the story that stands out most in my mind is, I'm not exactly sure what island it is, but one of the Pacific islands, um, like they praised people who had large bodies because they were the physical embodiment of abundance. And so like, it was a wonderful thing that you could be fat because it meant that you had enough to eat. It meant that you, you had like some luxury in your life and that you could like manage to get so large. Um, and I like this story in a way because, um, because it does give us like a positive spin on fatness from like, you know, before, quote unquote, whatever that means. But also when we're telling this story, it also still has sort of a healthist spin to it. Um, insofar as it's kind of also saying that like, you know, these people have been afforded to eat themselves fat and, and like it, it plays into a lot of myths of like that what, what we tell ourselves today that fat people are fat because they have chosen to be that way. You know, they, they ate themselves there and you know, you're fat because you're lazy and you eat too much. And like, sometimes that can be true. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's a lot of reasons that people are fat. Um, one of them being, it's just a part of the natural spectrum of human difference physically. Um, and others, can be much more complicated than that. But uh, that's also like sort of, I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's a, it's a complicated story for me. And what you will hear, dear listener, is there are no easy answers. <laughs> Everything that I talk about is complicated. Um, 
because it's true. There's no easy answer. Like nothing is straightforward and nothing is simple. Um, And so like, you know, fast forward to the idea that fatness was in, in Europe, you know, because the Europeans had like these fleshy, look at these big old fleshy people in these, in these, uh, these paintings. And so somebody who's praised for this is um, Peter Paul Rubens, the painter. And the fact of the matter is the Rubenesque, quote unquote, the Rubenesque person, um, personage that was being painted. You look at that, you see the Venus de Milo. So this very famous painting, you know, this uh, white woman with all the hair, you know, um, modestly covering her bits um, in a clamshell, just gigantic clamshell. She is fleshy, you know, she's got a thicker hip, she's got a thicker thicker thigh, a little poochy belly. But the fact of the matter is, is that, like, she's not fat. She's not fat. She's what we would say, um, she's what I would say is a relatively fat person, not an absolutely fat person. And that difference is really, um, for example, the Kardashian clan. Chloe is quote unquote, the fat Kardashian. And she is considered fat because she's the larger bodied one. And the rest of them are these little wispy twigs. Um, but if Chloe goes out of her home, her, her family home and like walks around in the neighborhood or amongst a group of people, pre-pandemic, Chloe's no longer fat. Chloe wouldn't be considered fat in a doctor's office. Chloe wouldn't be subjected to, you know, fat phobia in a medical setting. But an absolute fat person is someone who will be considered fat no matter where they are, no matter what they're doing, and no matter who is observing them. Um, And also the other thing about an absolute fat person is an absolute fat person is someone who also has access issues because of fatness. Khloe Kardashian doesn't have those. So I'm off in the weeds, but the fact of the matter is, is that colonization really impacts our bodies and our relationships to our bodies because it has taken us away from our innate body knowing. Um, And that innate body knowing is that relationship that we have with ourselves where we can understand what our bodies need. We can hear the signals that we are hungry, that we want to eat such a thing, you know, and we can respond to that in kind without having to think about like, is that good for me? Or I don't know, I've already had, you know, 20 points worth of this today. Or, you know, you don't have to think about like, ah, there's too much fat there. These are not things that innately we think about. This is not what your body is communicating to you. These are these messages that are being given to us. And like, that's the whole project of colonization is to take us away from our natural state, to take us away from where our connection to like community and land is. Colonization is about 
like taking us, removing us from that and then working, like turning us into a product to produce and nothing more. Above board. That was ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Not ridiculous at all. Like what I'm, what I'm hearing is that part of what colonization does is it disrupts um, what you would call inherent bodily knowing and replaces it with like thin supremacy with like ideals of, of white bodies and certain kinds of ways that we are allowed to take up space so that even as like BIPOC, like we will police ourselves, even though these aren't necessarily our ancestral values or our ancestral relationships to bodies. Yes. um, Because colonization like fucks with our heads. That's right. It fucks with our value systems. No, that's completely right. Because, you know, um, I'm reading Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia right now, written by Sabrina Strings. And this book is talking about the intersection and creation of anti-fatness and anti-blackness. It's, it's hard. It's hard to read it. It's really hard to read it partially because it's dry, but for the most part, because it's so emotionally activating um, to understand like how I have spent so much time in my life feeling negatively about myself because some random white dudes with money sitting around hanging out with other random white dudes with money just decided what beauty is and the fact that like they need to have more stuff so they need to subjugate the bodies of people that don't look like them and it's it's infuriating it's infuriating. Um, and so like, I, one of the things that was really interesting to read was how they say things like, you know, Africans are lazy because, you know, they're not producing, they're not farming, they're not, they're not doing the things we do. Look at how lazy they are. They just, eat all day and lay around. And if you look at that with a different lens, what's actually happening is the African people are in tune with their land, with their environment. They're not really farming because the land is plentiful and they can take what the land produces. So they don't have to go out there and hook up, uh, you know, um, hook up a a team of oxen to a plow and plow some gigantic field and then sow seeds and irrigate and all that stuff because their land is plentiful. And so like they have time to do other things. They're not trying to subjugate the land or force the land to do things that the land itself is not naturally doing. They're just living with it, going with it, doing, hunting, gathering, you know, with what is available to them versus trying to create over and above. They didn't live capitalistic lives where they were trying to get like profit and, you know, growth, you know? So it's like with the, with the lens of like 
from where the Africans, where the, the indigenous peoples are from, like they're living in accordance to what is already around them versus this more European, quote unquote, civilized way of thinking, which is no, you have to get up early and you have to work and you have to force everything to bend to your will and do what you want it to do. It's a really different way of thinking about things and it's very violent yeah. and very harmful. It's like a macro representation of just a simple discussion of consent. Oh God, yes. And permission and like, you know, being in harmony with your environment and the other entities around you, human or not human. That's right. If you are loving this podcast, consider heading over to patreon.com slash Jamie Panetta Healing Arts. Patrons receive a wide array of benefits, including exclusive course content and rituals on Healot and Chinese medicine. You can also review and like us on Apple Podcasts and share episodes with your friends and family. Thanks so much, everyone, for your support. I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about how much I love your podcast, <laughs> by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I love your podcast. Um, and I was listening, the last episode I listened to was the one about vegetables. Oh my. <laughs> and I just, I really, I, I really liked how you talk about it because that's how I talk about it with a lot of my patients too. Yeah. Um. And I'd love to get into a little discussion about uh, your ideas around perfectionism and purity and how that affects how we eat, Ooh. how we diet. Ooh, hmm, that's good. So um, I'm glad that you've listened to my podcast because I feel like on my podcast, I'm definitely more articulate. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I feel like Oh my. Okay. Dieting is terrible. Just, this is my thesis. Um, but, but ultimately like the thing about dieting is that it, number one, it takes you out of yourself because it takes you away from that innate knowing of like what your body wants and needs. And it imposes upon you this external, um, set of rules, what to eat, how to eat, when to eat, how much. Um, and it doesn't matter if your stomach or your body is going, Ooh, this doesn't feel good. Or, Ooh, this is not enough or any of that. It doesn't matter because the diet says, this is what you do. And something that if you have ever dieted, something you will know very intimately is, the slip when you just like get to that point and you can't deal anymore and you get that bag of chips 
and you open it. And instead of doing what the diet wants you to do, which is weigh it and portion it and then put it, you know, in its own separate little container and then go sit down and then eat it with your left hand, because if you eat it with your non-dominant hand, it's going to be awkward and you're going to eat less. This is what dieting says. Ridiculous. Um, You're going to eat the whole bag because you are having a snapback from the deprivation. You're responding to the deprivation. You can't take it anymore. Um, And so what ends up happening is like, we then, us dieters go, you know what? I messed up. I made a mistake. I guess I'm just going to go and eat all the things. So that's what you do for however long it takes for you to get back to diet land and go, oh no, I need to start again. Generally, it's Monday morning. And on Monday morning, you go, I'm going to do it right this time. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to be good. And this is purity culture. Either or, good or bad. Mm -hmm. If you're not following the rules, then you're bad. If you slipped up one time, you're bad. And, oh God, it's so terrible. It's so terrible because it doesn't give you any space to be a human being. It it has you in this place where you have to always be planning ahead. And there's nothing really wrong with planning ahead. I think it's great to be prepared. That's fantastic. However, when you have to like obsess about what you're going to eat, when you're going to eat it. Ooh, somebody's birthday's coming up. What am I going to do? You have to have a whole plan. Like that's no fun. And that's the problem with these binaries with sitting where like we can only have one or the other. Like life is not about one or the other. Life is super complex and life is always fucking messy. And so when we're always thinking about like, the binaries, we're robbing ourselves of the rich experience of life. And we're hurting ourselves along the way because there's no space for just experience. Mm-hmm. And it takes you out of trusting your own feelings, trusting your intuition, trusting your body's response to it. Absolutely. Such a weird compartmentalized way to like interact with something that should be nourishing us. Mm. That shouldn't be linear. Truly. And it's also assuming that every day is exactly the same. Right. You know, that every day you will need 2,200 calories to like run the machine, which is your body. When in fact, on some days, you need more because you're doing more because you're stressed because you're having emotional ups and downs. You need more. And on other days you're relaxed and you're chill and you're not doing much of anything. You're just hanging out and watching Netflix. Those days you might need less. And then some days you just feel really good and you're surrounded by amazing people or just having an, having an experience that feels nice. And so you're celebrating Like, that's a completely different experience. So we're not giving ourselves space for the fluctuation of life. Mm. Yeah. 
and truly everything does everything does fluctuate i mean seasonally things fluctuate like no no creature in nature is limiting themselves in this way like it's unnatural completely to limit yourself um to deprive yourself yes in like such a fabricated way absolutely and for for folks who are facing multiple kinds of oppression the relationship of that we might have to our health being another source of just control kind of freaks me out a little bit you know like we don't yeah. a lot of us don't need to be controlled more truly and and i also realize that dieting is um really intoxicating for people because dieting gives you the illusion that you have control over your body because it's the narrative that all the diet culture and diet industry is giving us. They're like, Oh, you know, you, you have control over what goes in your mouth. You have control over how much you move. You have control over these things. And we go, yes, yes. I can't control my job. I can't control my children. I can't control my partner. My parents are driving me nuts. I can't control society, but I can meticulously weigh and portion this food and make sure that I chew one time for every tooth in my mouth. You know, I can control that. And so like that. Is that a thing? It's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. Dieting is amazing. With the teeth and counting? Yes. Absolutely. Oh my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing about dieting. It's ridiculous. Some of these, some of these rules are ridiculous and um, they seem just completely wild when you start to like really look at them and what they mean. But like people live and die by these rules because some people really need like that feeling that I have control over something, you know, and, and that's something that actually tips a lot of people over into eating disorders because that's one thing they can control. They have control over maybe not what shows up on their plate, but how much they consume or how much they do not consume. It's terrible. Yeah, that is terrible. So Moving from that, let's talk about body liberation. Mm -hmm. How, like, with all of this shit that's happening with the with culture that is harmful and violent to lots of different kinds of bodies, how do you practice body liberation? And Tiana, I'm wondering also, what changes have you noticed in this in the before times and then the pandemic times? Ooh. In practicing body liberation. Ooh. Okay. I'm going to write that down. Only giant question. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> okay. So body liberation is this like <laughs> idyllic future where every body has the right and the freedom and the space to exist as it is. And it just, in my head, I have like a picture of like this very verdant field, very lush greenery and like 
deer just frolicking and jumping. Um, you know, very Garden of Eden style sort of thing. Um, but essentially, like, the challenge of body liberation is that that it's we're so far away from it. And so how do you work toward body liberation? How does one do? <laughs> and considering that we live in such an oppressive world. And essentially what I have is a four-step framework for body liberation. Um, sounds easy, sounds very, very simple, but it's a lot. So let me tell you about it. Step one of my framework is education because you cannot fight against a system you know you do not understand so you have to figure out like what is it what is the system that is oppressing me in this way what is diet culture what is not diet culture um and that is something that you have to figure out and find out before you can start going i'm against it step two is reframing. And in this step, what you're doing is you are taking all of the conditioning, all of the stories that you have carried with you throughout your life that are determining how you do things and who you are and, and all of the whys, and you're interrogating them to figure out what is in here that actually, if I look at it a little bit differently, it can help propel me forward. Or what is in here that is just harmful, that I need to learn how to stop. Step three, after you've done all of this rich education and internal work, is self-care and resilience building. And what this step is about is about is about like getting your toolkit ready because you've got to go out into the world that hasn't changed much, regardless of how much you have changed. And you're going to be met with aggression. You're going to be met with challenges and it's going to be harmful and hurtful. And you need to know how do you take care of yourself and continue making that happen. In addition, this step is requiring you to find community that's actually going to be caring for you that you can give to and that there's that like, mutual aid and assistance because that's part of keeping you capable of doing this for the long haul. And then step four is advocacy. And then step four is how you learn to relate to those that will challenge you and attempt to harm you um, and ask for what you need. And in that advocacy for yourself, you are also advocating for others because every single time that you speak up and show up for yourself, you're creating a ripple effect for anyone who comes behind you. So using this four-step framework is how I am practicing living my best fat life, finding the things that give me joy and like trying to give myself space and like the skills to deal with the things that do not. Um, and before the pandemic, 
I, I think that I was really thinking a lot more that this was a very individualized sort of thing where you really had to do a lot of work internally and then look externally um, after you had like gotten your toolkit stacked and your education in and like your reframing together. But during the pandemic, I started to offer a support group, an introductory support group for body liberation called the Fat Freedom Foundation. And it was just kind of a shot in the dark. I felt like it was something that I needed. And I didn't realize that it was something that actually all of us needed because that community piece that I talked about to help us build, build resilience in step three, that's somehow one of the most important parts of body liberation because colonization has us like chopped off and put into these little boxes where each and every one of us is an individual and we need to sit in this box and be as productive as we possibly can. When in fact, that's not how we're programmed as human beings. We're animals, we're communal, we're social, and we thrive in community. We need each other. And that's the pandemic had me realize like through running this program, the Fat Freedom Foundation, that everybody is able to progress faster if we have a place where we can practice doing that love and also receiving that love. And now we nodded each other for five minutes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, like it's the pandemic, if you had any doubts that your your illness or your well-being wasn't connected to the community around you, um, I mean, there, there's no denying how interconnected we are, whether we want to be or not. Mm, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I love, I love how much that is like being revealed in the work that you're doing. Um, and that like that shift, I see that shift too from more individualized work to communal work. That is also to me an act of decolonization. Mm -hmm. Because I, I realized also like, I, I, I like, like I've been doing one-on-one -on -one coaching um, in my business pretty much since the beginning, because that's what I was told is what you're supposed to do. And what I realized through the pandemic is I'm enjoying that less and less and really, really happier, so much happier, like, and excited by working in groups. Mm -hmm. I hear that. I love, I love doing my QT BIPOC Qigong groups. I love working with BIPOC together. It's awesome. Yes. So I want to I want to give you a, a little bit of space to plug any programs or offerings that might be coming up for you in the near future. So this episode will come out on October twentieth, just to give you a little bit of a time mm. frame. So yeah, 
what's coming up for you. How can people get a hold of you cool. and find out more about what you're doing? Oh my goodness. Ah, so, um, if you want to get a hold of me, one of the easiest ways to do it is to come check me out on Instagram. On Instagram, I'm at I am Tiana Dodson, T-I-A-N-A-D-O-D-S-O-N. Um, you can also go to my website, which is tianadodson.com. And what I've got coming up in the near future, I'm building a course. <laughs> I'm like so excited for myself. I'm excited for your course. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's It's been this thing that I've been like, <sighs> you know, it, it it's really, it's very much like a birth. Like there has been a gestation of this thing because it started with Fat Freedom Foundation where I created this communal space of support and it's just been giving me so much joy. So Fat Freedom Foundation is also available. If you're somebody who's looking for a place to be in community with other fat people who are just looking to be supportive, like, and get supported around being a fat person in this world, then Fat Freedom Foundation is for you. Um, we're meeting once a week right now on Saturdays um, for 90 minutes to hang out and just talk about the things that we have going on. Um, so that space is available and I, I love it there. But growing out of Fat Freedom Foundation is the Fat Freedom Toolkit. Um, the Fat Freedom Toolkit is my course that I'm building and it'll be launching October 28th. Um, and basically what we're going to be doing in Fat Freedom Toolkit is, like I was saying, with my four-step framework, um, step three, self-care and resilience building is all about creating, you know, like stocking this toolkit that's going to help you go out into the world and like live your best fat life. And that's what we're doing there. So the Fat Freedom Toolkit is going to be a three-month program where we're working through six skills. It is not an exhaustive list because there's so many skills that you need, but these six skills I think are foundational and really important that will help you be able to work toward body liberation for yourself and for others um, in a way that you can be better resourced and more resilient. So if you're interested in joining that, get in touch with me via DM on Instagram or um, join my newsletter list from my website because um, yeah, I'm starting it with a pilot cohort. So this is the first time I'm running it and it's going to be a pretty small intimate space. And I want to make sure that like, if you're going to join this and you're going to like take this voyage with me that like you're ready to go because it's not going to be hardcore necessarily, <laughs> but like you need to be ready to do the work because this isn't going to be like filling out a worksheet and keeping it moving. Like we're going to be there to hold each other and really explore into and develop these skills. Love it. 
I love it. I love it. So last but not least, every episode, we always do a community shout out mm. where I ask guests to highlight um, a community member or community group that's BIPOC, that's doing really awesome work that we would like to um, just give them a little love, encourage people to redistribute funds or resources to. So Tiana, is there anyone that you want to name today or any group that you'd love to, to bring to our attention? Ooh, okay, that's a heavy question um, because there's so many people who have come to mind. Um, but top of mind right now is a good friend of mine, Honorata Kauta of the Kauta Constellation. Um, Honorata is out here in the world um, just working toward helping people and organizations decolonize their work and also like work toward post-capitalist possibilities. Um, so Honorata runs this great course with um, co-founder Mariah Helms called Sowing Post-Capitalist Seeds. I've been teaching in the course for the past couple of years, and I'm actually taking it this cohort um, because what they're doing in there is super awesome. And I'm just like, I mean, not that I, I, I don't know, not necessarily that I need to know the stuff, but also like, I want to know the stuff and um, like learning more about how to have a post-capitalist praxis and like why is super important. And so that's what's going on in there. Um, so yeah, definitely give Honorata a poke and check out Honorata's work with the Kauta Constellation because what's going on over there is amazing. Thank you so much. I loved our conversation today, Tiana. You're such a lovely guest. Ooh. For folks who are listening, I'll drop links to Honorata and to Tiana's work in the show notes so you all can check that out later. Excellent. Thanks so much for being here. It was a pleasure. I'm so excited that you had me. Maraming salamat for listening to the Decolonizing Medicine podcast. Music is by Amber Ojeda, Head Candy, and Rocky Marciano. Big thanks to Lauren Ellen McCann, my sweetie and fabulous audio engineer, and all our listeners and supporters out there. If you want to find out more about my work, head over to Linktree slash Jamie Panetta Healing Arts. Ingat! <laughs>